So the kids can be dismissed for church. While they're running out, um, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that's where we'll get to here at some point, and we'll spend a little bit of time there. Ephesians 2. The, the truth of the gospel is literally what gospel means, anybody know? Good news. Okay, which means that there's a requirement for some bad to be present, for the gospel to be good news, right? For good news to be good news, for it to matter, there's got to be a bad side of the story, right? Okay, so we sit under the weight of all that's going on this week, and gosh, it's heavy. And we're not past it. Okay, and we sit under the weight of all of that. But what's, what's overarching and what the Lord just really reminded me, even this morning, was this truth, that the good news of the gospel demands that there be brokenness and darkness whereby which the truth of who Christ is can enter in and bring hope and healing. Okay? We live in a community where that's never been more present and, and our eyes have never been more open, at least in my lifetime, right? Um, so so what do, who are we? Who are we to be? I hope with some sense you came here this morning. I hope that maybe the events of the week stirred your heart to be here with some desire for some answers. Okay, if, if this week hasn't stirred in your heart, like, God, who, what do we do? If it's just left you judgmental and tweeting what the police should be doing or whatever, and hasn't left you with a sense of, Okay, I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. Who do I need to be right now? Like, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Amidst the cast, because here's the truth. The emotions this week have been all over the map, right? Like, anger? Anybody been angry this week? Like, deep. Like, in ways that I've been seen, but just angry. And then just moments of just depression. Uh, I was sitting in front of my computer yesterday, and I was watching the news conference with Nixon and Captain Johnson, and just the, I mean, it was, it was ugly, and I, I just began to, to weep with, with the sense of, like, what do we do? And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just confess, like, even the, even the God pressing in my own heart with the understanding that at times, I, like, I don't believe God's able. Like a bunch of us gathered Wednesday night at First Baptist Ferguson, several churches led by several North County pastors, and we just prayed. And I was just convicted by the Lord that, I mean, just miles down the street, rioting and craziness happening, I was convicted by the Lord that I didn't believe that our prayers would really make a difference. I was like, gosh, God, forgive me. Forgive me. So the... So the the emotions have been all over the map. Afraid? Have you been afraid? Have you been afraid to go out of your house? 
to be in your house. You've been all over the map. But here's what's interesting. Is the events of this week didn't create a new problem. Right? They revealed what's always been there. Okay? Sure, there's a new case, new individuals involved, but it revealed what's always been present. Racism? We're going to talk about that in a second. Hatred? Anger? Murder? Violence? And what I'm just going to I'm just going to put all my cards on the table right now. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to turn all that back on ourselves. Because even in me listing out those things, you begin seeing scenes play out on the television, reading your Twitter feed, your Facebook. Like, you've been seeing all these different things, right? And you're just like, yeah, get them. Like, those, we've got to deal with them. No, no, listen. The sin problem that's present in the events of this week dwell in our hearts. And if you don't agree with me, I'm about to show you because that's what the gospel teaches. That's what the gospel teaches us. I was, I was talking with a, with a pastor from West County this week, and I was talking about like our efforts to, to love on the community. This was before these events. Well, no, I guess it was after, but we weren't specifically talking about the events of this incident in Ferguson. I was talking about just what we've done through our heart North County and just the different efforts we've made to love on this community and its brokenness and, and its poverty and whatnot. And, and his response was like, gosh, that's incredible. He's like, because it's so hard because he's in, he's in West County and he's like, everything's masked with big houses and money. And he's like, and it's so hard to engage brokenness because everyone thinks they're okay. At least they're able to really put a posture of we're good. Look, I mean, look at what we have. Look at what we drive. Like, we're good. And here's the beauty of who we are and where we live, and the beauty of, of all of us who've said, we're going to invest in North County. We're not going to leave North County. We're going to invest in this place and see the gospel planted in North County, is that the brokenness is real, okay? And we can try to run from it, and we can throw big houses and money and materialism and all these different things on top of it and try to hide what's really, pre- what's really present. And listen, it's a whole lot harder to dig all that out. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so the events of this week aren't new things. They've exposed the sin that's always been there um, a theologian named G.K. Chesterton responded in, in the, the 1900s to a, a local newspaper who sent out this message like, what is, what is wrong with the world? Maybe you've heard this before. And he simply replied, I am sincerely yours, Chesterton. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest here. Like, There's a level to which I struggle with thinking in the midst of the events of this week that I'm the problem. Like, do you understand that? Like, it's easy to just watch the TV and look at the, you know, look at everything and read everything, and it's like, here's, here's, what, we, here's what we could have done different, and blah, 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 and, 
But really, the truth is that peace and reconciliation starts in your heart and in my heart. Is that sin dwells in us. And everyone has the answers and everyone wants to point the finger, but that's the truth. Um, Okay, so let's go to Ephesians 2. We're going to start at verse 1 and then we're going to jump down. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know who that includes? The looters. We're all lumped in one people. You stand in judgment. Absolutely, there's grief and remorse over the brokenness that's been caused by that act. But I don't really want to draw that out. But listen, it says like the rest of mankind. Sin dwells in our hearts. Christ went to the cross because of the brokenness in our hearts. There's racism in your heart. There's dishonesty. There's selfishness. There's injustice in you. There's been a whole lot of talk about justice and injustice this week. There's injustice in you and in me. It's just not on TV. And so we feel better about it. It's okay. But Jeremiah... 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why why scripture says he's going to remove a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. So it's easy to stand in judgment of the situations that have happened this week. Um, I heard heard one... uh, Journalists put it this way, that, that looting, looters are opportunists. What do they do? They find weakness and they exploit it. So they're just looking for opportunity and they're like, there's a whole bunch of craziness going on here, so I'm, gonna, I'm an opportunist, I'm go, let's go there. And they exploit it. Listen, you and I have those same tendencies. Might never bust it in some glass. Stole some high dollar stuff. But we have opportunity to find, we have the tendency to find weakness. Listen, in the people that are sitting next to us, in conversations, we find a weakness and we exploit it. And it's so subtle and it's not even obvious. But we do it. Let me do one more. Police brutality. I'm not going to try to land on one side of another here. Because many, many people have talked about the brutality and the militarization of the police, and my aim isn't to try to speak to that as much as, as this. Uh, the other day, actually it was just after I finished leading community group. We were getting in the car, and it's well past bedtime. 
for my kids. My daughter goes to bed at like 7 o'clock. It's like 9, 9.30. She's really at the end of herself. I was frustrated. Getting four kids in the car anytime, I don't care what's happening. It's always not the funnest experience. Okay. Um, so we're, we're getting in the car, and she like is not getting in her seat, not listening, and she gets up to do something, and I just, I just lost it. And I grabbed her arm, and I threw her back into the seat. And I, I yelled at her, and she just broke down in tears. And for a moment, I was like, okay, I got her. And then, and then like, the next second, like, I just, like, just put my chin to my chest. And, and like, it just hit me, like, like I was, that was brutal. There are times in our lives where, as parents, as authorities, as leaders, we're brutal to people. We're discouraging. Been there? We're cynical. Now, I hope I'm stepping on toes because, like, I need somebody to come with me here on this. <laughs> we're negative. We're brutal. We're not gracious. We don't live out Proverbs 15.1 that a soft answer turns away wrath. I've seen that this week. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I've seen that this week, right? It's amazing how life really brings to light the truth of the biblical narrative. It's like, wow, what God says is actually true. Brutality, like social media, like finger punching, like here's the answer, blah, 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 blah. We can be brutal. We can. But there's a deep, deep, deep need in our hearts and in our community for reconciliation, specifically racial reconciliation. Racial reconciliation. You know, here's, here's what racism is it's the dehumanization of a person. That's what it is. It's the dehumanization of a person. And you, you go on the computer and you do a Google search for white flight St. Louis. And you'll see maps of the progression of over the years. What's happened with white individuals fleeing this community. Fleeing the city. Fleeing this community. Listen, the Ferguson event simply exposed the deep-seated racial issues that have been present in our community for years. And I believe, and I know many of you believe, and many of the people that I rub shoulders with, that we went into Ferguson with this week, believe that God wants to do something to bring racial reconciliation to our community. And I'm just going to be honest here. We live in a diverse community. It burdens my heart that we are a white church in a diverse community. And you know what that means? And I, I want to be the pastor that has the game. Here's what we need to do to change that. But do you know what that means? It means we're not really reaching our community. Like, I want to be the pastor that stands up and says, look, man, look at what we're doing, and we're reaching people, and 
Gosh, I, I mean, we're loving on some people? Absolutely. Are we doing some good things for some people? Absolutely. But as far as relational integration, where our church begins to not just look like the community for just looking like sake, but because when you live in a place and you integrate with a place and you bring the gospel to a place, what happens? Naturally, relationships integrate. The lost comes to Christ. And we are a white church in a diverse community. And man, we need, to, we need to think about that and pray through what that looks like. And it's been on my heart this week very heavily. But go to verse 11, Ephesians 2. Let's see what the scripture says about uh, racism here. Therefore, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, so here's what it just said. Okay, it just basically said that here, Gentiles, that's you and me, that's all non-Jews, okay, the the people of God, the Jewish nation, versus the, you know, the not people of God. Okay? Gentiles in the flesh. Okay? It's the, there's those who are looking for the Messiah. Okay, this is describing those who aren't. They're not looking, they're not, they have this hope for the coming of the king. The privileged versus the, the disadvantaged says, we're alienated from the covenant, commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay? The Jewish nation had a hope. They had a hope of the Messiah coming. Okay? This is describing a situation where that hope, they weren't longing for that hope. They weren't longing for this Messiah. Keep going, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... Because of Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the temple had several different courts, okay, but it had a specific court for the Gentiles, where the Gentiles came and where they encountered God and where they worshiped. Then it had a specific court for the Jews and where the Jews came and where they worshiped and they were separate, okay? And the integration of the two was hostile and it was ugly and it was brutal and it was not allowed, the truth of the matter is that in the gospel and through Christ, what happens? The dividing wall of hostility is destroyed. That Jesus shattered it on the cross. The cross, he said, come. Come one and come all. There's no privileged. The society might privilege us as white people. Absolutely, but in the cross, I would contend that we're at a greater disadvantage because the scripture says a whole lot about the broken 
and the outcasts and the minority and his heart for them. And it should stir our heart. It should stir our heart. What's crazy is where it says that he will make the two one. That Greek word one literally means a new kind. Okay, so it's not like I'm going to create something from, it's, it's brand new. Okay, I heard one um, pastor describe it like this. Like it's, so it's not like the, you know, the, the 2014 Ford Explorer. It's like the Model T. It's like a brand new people. Brand new. One, integrated, doing life together, living life together. Listen, the gospel is the only hope of killing this hostility. It's the only hope. That's why it was so beautiful. Yesterday, Rick and I and several others from the community took bags to the Delwood Rec Center outside of the hotbed for the Campbell Green apartment residents. We'd made a contact with a resident who knew of families that needed food. And she met us there, and we, we prepped like 200-something bags. And it was incredible just to look her in the eye and say, gosh, here. Like, we feel for you. We're here for you. And it was awesome to join arms, black and white. Like, one lady pulled out her phone and like, here's all these white people helping black, like working together. And she's like, man, the media's not getting this. Like, let's get, she's like, I'm recording this. Like, this is what it's about. Joining arms as the people of God. It goes on, verse 17. He came and he preached peace to those who were far off. And peace to those who were near. Listen. White, if you're white in here, you're no more privileged and no more near to the kingdom of God than any other race. That's what the cross did. It broke down the wall. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are built together, being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. A leader in the civil rights movement, John Perkins, put it this way, when blacks and whites who have worked and shopped and studied and eaten side by side all week go to segregated churches on Sunday mornings, the gospel itself is betrayed. Gosh, that's convicting. And there's a desperate need for the gospel to enter, enter in. To enter into our situation. Um, so really, three things that I think are huge for us here. How do we move forward? How do we engage? Listen, be humble. Be humble. I get that you know how to better be the police. I get it, okay? But you need to lay that aside. 
Okay, we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves recognizing that we're sinners. We're fallen humanity. And God's come and he saved us. And we're not a privileged people because of anything we've done, but only because of who he is. That we're chosen by him. And you know what that does? It sends us out humble, not with a chip on our shoulder, judgmental. You better get this right. But humble to see a gospel work happen in all hearts. Be a minister of gospel peace. Don't stir up strife. Don't stir up conversations. Don't stir up controversies. The racism that's present in your heart. And it was so convicting when Rick last week said there's racism in all of us. And I wanted to stop and be like, no, not in me. And the Lord's just like, there is. It's in all of us. Be a minister of gospel peace. And pray. I posted a tweet this morning. And it was a bold call to the church to to not be complacent, but to pray. And I got a response. (laughs) And somebody I don't know said, um, a great way to feel like you're doing something when you're really doing nothing. And that was was eye-opening because here's the truth. Prayer, most often to us, is feeling like we're doing nothing when we're really doing something. It's like, hey, let's gather and pray. All right, we'll come. We'll say some words like our hearts aren't really stirred and really are we wasting our time? Are we wasting our time? We, I, I feel like that sometimes. In my own heart, God, does this really matter? And absolutely it does. Absolutely. So we're going to move into that time. We're going to move into a time of prayer for our community. And Rick's going to come up and, and we're, going to, we're going to very practically beg of God to first and foremost do this in our own hearts and then engage into our community. Um, I want to read a, a passage of scripture and then direct our minds um, first to some individual prayer. Uh, Acts eleven eighteen says, God has granted the repentance that leads to life. I think what David said and what God has led our hearts to is a, a crucial moment for us is to look inward towards our own sin. And so as we begin to pray for our city, foremost at the beginning, the most important thing that we can do is, is ask God to show us our own sin. And so the first exercise of prayer that we'll do is to look inward and ask God to show us our sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's why I want you to pay attention. And such were some of you, but you were washed, 
you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Psalm 51 also teaches that our sin is always in front of us. It's always before us. It's always between us and God. Here's what I want for us to do. I want you to stop and silently pray in your hearts, asking God to convict you of your sin. And specifically, in relation to this situation, ask God to to convict your heart and confess to him the racism and the bias that's in your heart. Because it's there. And if you don't think it's there, ask him to show it to you. Secondly, confess a lack of love for people, not just of a different color, but of a different economic status or a different area or a different community. Confess a lack of love. Confess racism and bias. Confess a lack of love. Confess a condescending attitude and confess our need for Jesus. So and as you're sitting there, ask God to, to give you the grace that brings repentance into your heart and confess sin to him. Be very specific, be general, but ask God to convict your heart of sin. And after a couple of minutes, I'll verbalize a prayer and then we'll move into our our second specific area of prayer. So um, spend a couple of minutes confessing racism, confessing a lack of love, confessing a condescending attitude and confessing our need for Christ. God, I thank you for the, this moment, God, and, and the prayers that have just been lifted to you. And I thank you that you are a God that hears our prayers and you are a God who has put away our sin once and for all. And the sin that you've reminded us of this morning has been put away by your son. We have been washed. We've been sanctified. We have been justified, Father. I thank you for the cleansing blood and the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ who makes these things true, God. Lord, I pray for our church that we would be quicker to point out our own sin than we are the sin of those around us, Father. And God, I pray that you would make that true in my heart foremost. God, show us the gravity and weight and effects of our sin. And then give us the grace that leads to repentance, that leads to life. We trust in your son Jesus to do these things alone. Amen. The things that we're praying about this morning, specifically that one, uh, I hope to lead us in everything that we do and all that we pray, especially in, in light of this situation. When you're tempted... To, to in, inject your opinion into the conversation, don't, please, and pray instead.
and start with repentance. And then pray for your city. Pray for your community. Pray for civic leaders. Pray for police officers. Pray for prosecuting attorneys. Pray for mothers whose children are dead. Pray for peace, love, hope, mercy. Pray for those things. Um, what I want you to do now is, is stop for a second and, and move from where you are or turn from where you are and, and pray together with two or three people. And if you're uncomfortable with praying out loud, pray silently. Or if you're uncomfortable with praying silently, just sit there. But, but move a bit, and, and we want to engage one another with prayer. And this is the direction. We're praying for our community. We're praying for our civic leaders. We're praying for our police officers. We're praying for, praying for the family. We're praying for the people who live in and around West Florissant and Chambers. We're praying for those people. We're praying for the nation. Because ultimately, this is not a, a West Florissant and Chambers problem. This is an America problem. But specifically, let's pray for our leaders, pray for our church leaders, pray for the pastors in that area, pray for your pastors, pray for us, pray for peace and hope and love and mercy to reign. Uh, so, so rise now and, and pray with, in groups of two, three, four, five, whatever you're comfortable with, and I'll verbalize a prayer and transition us into a, the next area.
God, I thank you that you are faithful and you hear our prayers. God, I thank you for the picture of a church praying. I pray that you would continue to draw us into prayer, Father. God, I I pray for Michael Brown's family. I pray for the police officer's family. I pray for peace and mercy and love to dwell, to reign in their hearts, Father. I pray that it would be so in such a way, God, that that people who have hate and and pain filling their hearts and lives would see the joy and peace and mercy that's in these people, Father, and, and be changed by your powerful changing love. God, in my mind, in my heart, I see no way for peace to come anytime soon. But you are a miraculous God, and you can make it be so, Father. And we trust you. We trust your will. We trust your plan. God, our hope is in you. Help us to see that. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, One last thing that I want to lead you guys in prayer for. In the life of Joseph, there's a, a, a discussion about evil. And, and Joseph says what, what man intended for evil, God used to bring about good. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good of those who love him according to his purpose. And then as I talked about at the beginning of the service, I talked about the, the siege wall that was built by the Babylonians. Jeremiah was a prophet of God and he sat on a hill overlooking Jerusalem, which, by the way, most archaeologists believe was Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, where David or where where Jeremiah wrote these words in response to a city being laid siege to for two and a half years, and then the ultimate raping and murdering and killing of his friends and family members. In response to that, he writes this poem: "He has made my teeth grind on gravel." And made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. The wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My soul says, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, my soul says, therefore I will hope in him. My hope, my portion is not in a police force. It's not in a district attorney. It's not in a gun. It's not in, it's in Christ alone. And this is where God is leading us to. This is the hope that we have. So as we pray for the last time this morning, let's pray this. Pray that God's glory would come down. Pray that what was in the soul 
of Jeremiah to write these words would be in our souls, would be in the souls of those around us. And when we're attempted to inject our opinion, our biased, racist opinion into this conversation, would we see that Jesus Christ is our hope and not what it is that you have to say. God's glory to be known, for salvation to spring up, for the people of North County, for the people of St. Louis, for the people of the United States of America to, to see our only hope is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray those things. Pray that, gather again in, in, in groups, maybe a different group, and, and ask that the glory of God would rain upon this place as it rained upon Jeremiah's heart. Go now and pray. And I'll verbalize a prayer in a minute. God, you are good. You are full of mercy and full of steadfast love, full of hope and peace. All these things that we beg for, Father, you have an abundance, and I ask that you would rain them down, Father, and I pray that your salvation would spring up from the ground. We would hear of people coming to faith in you because of what has happened. We trust that this will happen, God. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor. May your son Jesus be revealed. We trust in you and in you alone. You are beautiful and awesome and mighty God, far above anything we could ever imagine. God, we thank you for your son Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.